Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning. It's nice to see all of you this morning. This is the second week in our Bible series. Last week, Adam did a masterful job explaining how our modern translation of our scriptures came to be and why we can trust it as authoritative for faith, conduct, and doctrine. Well, this morning, we are going to explore how New Testament writers referenced the Old Testament when writing their letters and accounts. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser of some things to come. This morning, we are going to be delving through arguably two of the most challenging passages of Scripture to understand. So, uh, y'all are looking at me blankly. I'm excited about this. You should be excited about this too. I can't wait to unravel what it is that God has been doing uh, or speaking through the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 1 and Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. So we're going to have to kind of gird up our loins together. Uh, We're going to get through this together and we're going to see a lot about what God has been up to from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Well, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples had no easy task before them. They had to try and figure out how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were aligned and connected with the Old Testament scriptures. The Jews were expecting a conquering Messiah, one that rode into Jerusalem on a white stallion, overthrowing the Romans and establishing their kingdom forever and ever and ever. And that's not exactly what happened. It's not exactly how Jesus entered the world. Instead, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a peaceful donkey. And rather than overthrowing the Romans, he was put to death by them. But unlike normal people who die, Jesus raised from the dead. Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Sitting in a room after Jesus' death, perhaps even after his resurrection, trying to put together all of this. Uh, They're elated because, yes, their Messiah, their teacher, their friend has raised again back to life and has ascended and is sitting at the Father's right hand. But they're also going, I don't understand what happened. I don't understand how it's all connected. This is not at all what we were expecting or anticipating. And then imagine realizing that you had the responsibility of communicating this to people. Just think about that for a second. Not only was this Messiah not the one they they expected, but you're also trying to communicate that this man lived, did amazing miracles, was crucified, dead, dead, uh, in a way that only the Romans knew how to put you to death, and then rose again. And then that's all connected somehow to the very beginning. They were tasked with this responsibility. 
And in other words, they knew that Jesus was not some new God and that they were trying to embark on a new religion, that this was all connected, that this was all part of God's plan. But I'm sure many of them didn't have a clue as to how that they were going to communicate this or put all the dots together. But the first thing that they did in recognizing that they had to say something, that they had to do something, was to go back and remember Jesus' strange teachings. Things that they didn't understand. Things that they talked behind Jesus' back about. Trying to say, we don't really know what's all going on with Jesus. um, But he's leading us somewhere and we have to trust him. The Jews' sense-making of those moments. Jesus told us this would happen. We didn't understand it. We didn't believe him. So let's start piecing those things backwards. Then what they did was took the information that they knew and delved into their scriptures, our Old Testament. And wouldn't you know it, as they're diving through the Old Testament scriptures, they found prophecy about Jesus and his ministry absolutely everywhere. So then they reinterpreted those scriptures, and it influenced them in connection with the Holy Spirit as they're writing what is our New Testament. So these New Testament writers used three primary ways of communicating to us the connectedness of the New Testament or their experience of Christ to the Old Testament. So they used quotations, which is the most straightforward way we think about this. So they would literally quote the Old Testament. They would do allusions to the Old Testament. uh, Or they would develop themes from the Old Testament. Testament. So New Testament authors used quotations, they used allusions, and they developed themes. One of the easiest books to highlight these methods is the book of Revelation. Now, Wopsle, our, our family pastor, in sermon session on Thursday, made the observation, he said, you know, I think that's the first time I've ever heard revelation and easy in the same sentence. And I laughed because I thought, yeah, you don't tend to think of that connection, right? That revelation is easy. Actually, revelation is pretty foreign. I used to read revelation at night when I was a little kid in junior high wanting to read my Bible. And I had never really read revelation before. And so I decided before I went to sleep that that was the best book of the Bible to read. Uh, And I had the strangest nightmares because I'm reading these crazy visions that John had and my my mind didn't know what to do with them or what to, um, how to make the dots or it was just all strange. And even as adults, when we approach the book of Revelation, it's, it's foreign, it's obscure. But the reason why it's pretty foreign and pretty obscure is because it, over any other book in the New Testament, quotes alludes to or develops themes more than any other book in the Old Testament. Almost triple any book in the New Testament, actually. So if we don't know our Old Testament scriptures well, when we enter a book like Revelation, we're going to have a hard time. So I picked Revelation chapter 1 to explore these three things, quotations, allusions, and theme development, because Revelation chapter 1 includes all three of these. John does them in almost rapid-fire succession. So if you want to follow along, I'm not going to read us a long passage 
this morning, but we're going to be studying kind of out of one. We're going to be a little bit behind the curtain, so to speak, of what we do in a Bible study, how we do sense-making about this. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through 18, either in your Bible or your Bible app, and I'm going to kind of summarize the big picture of what's going on, and then I'll pull verses out to make some of these connections. This passage has two main parts. Verses 4 through 8, where John makes some strong claims about who Jesus is. And then verses 9 through 18, where he explains to us a vision of seeing Jesus. And here's a summary of the first part of the passage. So this is uh, Revelation 1, 4 through 8, in my own words. Uh, Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. He has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and a priesthood to serve God forever and ever. Oh, come on. You can be a little bit more excited than that. (laughs) Woo! Amen? I'm going to repeat that so we can get it, so we can all get equally excited about this. Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. He has freed us from sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and a priesthood to serve him forever. This is exciting stuff. How, there we, amen. Right, amen. This is exciting stuff. This is what we get from John in his revelation in Revelation chapter 1. Now the problem for John is he can't just say these things this way to all of the new experiencers of Christ and his resurrection and the connection to the Old Testament. So what he has to do is make sure that this is a logical progression. Think about like going back to algebra. Some of you might be groaning. Oh, I hated algebra. Um, I loved algebra. I loved calculus and I, I liked these types of things in school. But it's like working out a math problem. John's giving us the answer right out of the gate. This is what Jesus, this is who he is. This is what he's done. Now I have to show you my work. Now I have to show you the work of the problem of how I arrived to the answer so that you can believe it and so that you can take it forward. So he quotes, alludes to, and even develops themes from the Old Testament so that his earliest readers could trust him. In Revelation chapter 1-7, John says this, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Then every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Here, he is quoting from the Old Testament. He is coming on the clouds is a direct quotation of Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14. So I'm going to read us that passage. Anytime the New Testament directly quotes the Old Testament... The wise thing to do for us is to go back and look at that quotation so we have a fuller understanding of what's going on. And don't worry, most modern translations that you have have something in an appendix or uh, in the margins about it. The Bible app has like a dot, dot, dot by it so you can click on it and and it'll redirect you. But in order to do sense-making, in order for us to understand what the writer is up to, we have to look back because it's directly connected. So in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, Daniel said this, In my vision at night, I looked, 
And there before me was one like a son of man coming from the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, do you remember um, my reencountment of the first part of Revelation 1? There's a lot of similarities between these two things. So if you read Revelation chapter 1 and were to read through it, you would find that these things are connected. But by quoting Daniel 7, 13 through 14, John is basically communicating to his audience that the person I am telling you about, this one that I have had this amazing encounter with in a vision, that that person is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14. This was significant because this was the hope that all the Jews were putting their lives on. That every day as they were in their day-to-day lives and the Romans were ruling over them, they're holding Daniel 7 as an intimate promise to them about the freedom that they will experience. So after Jesus dies and people don't fully understand what happened, they might think that the movement was over. Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And John's going, no, no, no. We're not looking for another Messiah. He's come. We just didn't fully understand how he was coming. And now, if we were to continue on, there's an example of a New Testament author quoting from the Old Testament. Um, That quote is when he says that he was coming on the clouds. And he makes this intimate connection for us to jump back to Daniel 7. Now, what they tend to do when they quote is they don't just quote it like we're quoting an author in a term paper, that we use just the little part that we care about and then move on to make our point. What they're doing is saying, I'm referencing you back to this whole story. So enter back into Daniel 7 with me. And so we have to keep the whole context in mind. Well, to help us out, to even make that connection even more clear, John goes on to allude to the Old Testament as well. He makes an allusion to Daniel 7. It's a great example of a New Testament author alluding to an Old Testament scripture. And the allusion to the Old Testament is in Revelation 1, 12 through 16. I'm going to read that for us. He says, And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, allusions to the Old Testament, when we're reading in the New Testament, are a bit harder to find than the quotations. 
They may or may not have something in the margins. They may or may not have something in our study Bibles as a reference point. We kind of have to know our Old Testament scriptures well enough to recognize, wow, this sounds a little similar. Almost like a deja vu moment, a bell ringing in our head that I think I've heard something like that somewhere before. And one of the best ways that we can find these allusions or echoes to the Old Testament is through a good commentary. A good commentary will sometimes draw those echoes out for us. But John is alluding back to Daniel 7 yet again here. And this time he's quoting or alluding to uh, something that's a little earlier than the quote that he quoted from. So he's working backwards a bit. And he's, he's alluding to Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 12. I'll read it for us. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened." Now, you'd have to, in your Bible study, kind of take out both of these passages and overlap them to, in order to find some of the theme congruency. So anytime that you're looking at a New Testament author and they're quoting back to the Old Testament, my recommendation is always to put the one there and maybe open up another Bible and have the other one next to you or print them. I will often print them from Bible Gateway and put both pieces of paper down so I can look and see the connections back and forth. But it's no wonder why with all of these symbols uh, and these connections back to the Old Testament, why Revelation gets so difficult. Because there's a lot of meaning wrapped up in it that is found back in Daniel 7 or some other places. But um, when John is going through this, I'm hoping that you heard some overlap between these these two passages. There are some key phrases that John pulls from Daniel. We find that the hair is described in both of them as white as snow or as white as wool. Both passages allude to there being fire kind of surrounding the person that they're seeing. And so we get this sense that what John is seeing or describing is the same type of throne room experience as what Daniel had. Then you could even compare that throne room experience to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And there's commonalities, there's features that are similar because they're all trying to use human language to describe um, a heavenly reality. Things that we don't even have words to describe. They're trying to figure out how to describe it. So they both use the same words. His hair was white as snow or white as wool, or his feet look like that they were glowing, or around the throne there's glowing, there's flowing fire, which is this amazing, spectacular sight. Now, Daniel, what John is doing is he's making this intimate connection for us back to Daniel 7, because what he's really saying, and what he's really doing, John, in Revelation, is shattering the expectations that the Jewish people had about the Messiah, He's saying that there was so much more about Jesus than what we understood. Yes, we understood parts. We understood a fragment of it. But Jesus was going to blow our minds. And then what we're doing, and as he, as he flows along, and he's 
already starting to tease us about the fact that Jesus is more than who he said he was, he develops a theme from the Old Testament in the middle of this passage. And it's a good example of how New Testament authors develop themes out of the Old Testament. The theme of choice for John, on which all of this kind of hinges on, is the wordage, son of man. I don't know if your bells go off a little bit when you hear son of man, uh, but maybe they ought to. Uh, John remembered that Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man. It was one of those teachings that they didn't and couldn't fully wrap their brains around his disciples. But if you look back in your Bible to Matthew, Mark, and Luke particularly, you find over and over and over again Jesus calling himself the son of man. So John, in Revelation, grabs this theme in order to make a connection for us. Remember when Jesus said this stuff about being the Son of Man. And he's also making this connection back to Daniel 7, because Jesus said he was the Son of Man, because Daniel 7 proclaimed a Son of Man was coming to save you. So Jesus is walking around and teaching, I am the Son of Man, I'm coming to save you. And John's going, look, Don't give up on Jesus just yet. You might not understand what he was doing. You might not understand why he was here. But he he was the Messiah. He is the one that was supposed to come. Friends, this is exciting news. The Jews expected God to send a Messiah who would be the fulfillment of a promise given to David. They thought that this Messiah would be an earthly ruler to establish the Davidic kingdom forever and ever and ever. They thought that this Messiah was here solely to rescue them from the Romans. And that's what their expectation was. Here's what they missed. It was not God plus Messiah being revealed in Daniel 7. What was being revealed in Daniel 7 was that it was God equals Messiah. And we could read and understand the confusion from Daniel 7. We could understand why if they were looking for the exact working out of Daniel 7, they thought, here's a scene of God, and we're given a scene of the Messiah. Two different people. John's going, no, 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 no. This is something totally different. That Jesus was truly Emmanuel, God with us, living in a physical body with his people so that he could take on the punishment humans deserved, but would be raised from dead, thereby redeeming everyone who believed in him. The Jews had a narrow expectation set, restore our kingdom. Jesus said, I'm restoring God's kingdom, and I'm here to restore everyone, not just you. It blew their mind. John is communicating to us and to his original audience that God has been up to the same thing since the very beginning, unveiling a divine rescue plan. So why doesn't John just say that? Why doesn't he save us all the pain and suffering of trying to understand an obscure book, understand obscure prophecies from Daniel? Why does he go through the hassle of quoting, alluding to, and developing themes from the Old Testament? And the main answer to that question is that so that his original original audience would understand these connections. Otherwise, they would have never believed that Jesus was 
who he said he was. We talked about a lot that, the, that they expected the Messiah to be a human being in flesh to restore their kingdom. What John was communicating to them was a huge plot twist, something they never saw coming. Have you ever experienced a plot twist in a movie or a book? Yes? Maybe? Can I tell you the one that really messed me up? Disney's Frozen. I wasn't fully paying attention to the movie when my daughter and I first watched it. And so here comes Prince Hans. I'm seen set up for the kiss. And I'm like, oh, great, the Disney kiss. Oh, this is awesome. I'm so glad we saw this, sweetie. And he's the bad guy. What's going on? It blew my mind. John knows the information he's about to convey is going to blow their mind. And he's trying to set them up for it. He's trying to connect all of the dots for them. The Jews, were, if they were really reading their scriptures carefully, they would have seen that Jesus was there all along. But what they felt was their immediate need. And so they had their scriptures, as they read it, align with their immediate need. But here's kind of the essence of what's going on. This is why it's important for us to study our scriptures this thoroughly and from, genera- from Genesis all the way through Revelation. What John is giving us a peek into, what he's alluding to for us, what he's communicating to us, is that this is the very same spirit that has been at work from the very beginning of time until this very present moment. That this is the same spirit who created all things. This is the same spirit who is at work in the prophets. It's the same spirit that empowered Jesus. It's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. It's the same spirit who empowered the early church. This is the same spirit that is in us. All right, this is that time where you get excited. This is the same spirit who has had his hand on us from Genesis to Revelation, who is promising us that we will rise again like Christ rose again, that all of the promises of Scripture are true. That's why the New Testament author so painfully drag us through all of these dot connections because they want you to know that the God who framed all of creation is holding you in his hands by that same Spirit, that he was faithful in the past and that he is faithful today. It doesn't matter if you're battling cancer. It doesn't matter if you're battling an addiction. It doesn't matter if you have home problems. It doesn't matter if you have doubt, if you have fear, if you have anxiety. It doesn't matter what you're going through, that this same spirit who's been at work since the very beginning has been faithful through all time, and he will be faithful today. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're in awe at you. Your faithfulness, what you have been unfolding through Scripture over time, what you have been progressively revealing to your people as time wears on. 
Lord, we know your people have misunderstood you for centuries, and we have no doubt that we're misunderstanding you as we try to understand your your majesty, your love for us, what you have for us, your plans that you have in store. But what we do know is that you've been faithful from the beginning of time, and you will be faithful through the end of time, and that we can trust in you. Lord, no matter what we're going through today, may you come by our side and empower us with the faith that we need to cling to you no matter what we go through because we know that you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.